Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. Today, we're going to be talking about the latest trend in beverages, perhaps a much needed innovation that relieves our stress, an update on how labor shortages are fueling strikes, advancements in Latin foods, what's keeping your CEO, your CEO up at night, and much, much more. We bring you our unique insights on grocery, retail, sustainability, e-commerce, new product reviews, and consumer trends. Sally, what are we looking at this week? Hi, Phil. Well, like you said, we're going to talk about some beverages that are now on the market that claim to be able to reduce stress. So a lot of people have been through some very challenging and stressful times. So maybe it is a good time for products like these. They are infused with things like uh, CBD and um, adaptogens, which are mixes, mixes of herbs and mushrooms that are supposed to help with anxiety and stress. Amino acids are being used in these beverages. And um, yeah, the, the jury's still out on whether or not they are very effective, but we are certainly seeing a lot more of them. So if we turn the, you know, the clock back five years ago or 10 years ago, wouldn't we say that a stress relieving drink was a martini? <laughs> yes, some might. Uh, but but we are seeing alcohol. We're hearing that alcohol sales are down. So maybe people are looking for another way. So, you know, our dear friend Marion Nessel uh, from New York University um, said that the people who notice a benefit from these stress-reducing drinks may actually be experiencing a placebo effect. She compared the rise of wellness drinks to the booming supplement industry. The power of suggestion is so strong, she said, that we want to believe that we're consuming a cure even when the evidence for it is lacking. I have a tendency to agree with Marion on this one. Yes, I hear you. And the studies are very small. And I know um, working with you for so long that you prefer to rely on studies that have a larger group, a larger group of people studying. And we're looking at, at studies of 24 people, 75 people. And so so we don't have a lot of great information as far as um, science to back it up. And and also um, to be very um I don't know, philosophical here, you know, maybe maybe having a drink isn't the way to reduce our stress. Maybe getting rid of the stress is, is what we need and really look at ourselves and say, why am I getting so stressed out, you know, over this? And, and certainly during the pandemic, people have been very stressed out, um, not under their control, obviously. Uh, but maybe it's a combination of some of these drinks um, as well as us really just looking inwards and, and seeing, you know, what's going on and talking about stress. Um, it looks like our labor market is getting more stressed than ever before. In fact, this morning, I just saw a report from IRI that said that in our supermarkets, around 15 percent of beverages, 15 percent of frozen foods, 16 percent of snacks, 15 percent of candy and 18 percent of bakery items were out of stock uh, during the week ending October 3rd. Before the pandemic, out of stocks were usually seven to ten percent, so about double, um, which is why people are getting stressed out when they go into the supermarket. But you know, even the workers, whether it be in supermarkets or in factories, are really getting stressed out. What's going on? 
Well, it's it, it's really bad out there, Phil. We're seeing a lot of people go on strike and it's it's up more than it was last year as far as um, as strikes. Uh, the I think we've tracked 12 strikes this past year that had over a thousand people in them. Um, John Deere workers have gone on strike. Um, yeah, 10,000, 10,000 John Deere workers. Exactly. Yes. And, and Kellogg's. Um, the cereal factory workers have gone on strike. Um, last week, um, IATSE, the Hollywood um, union for uh, workers there in production, they were able to come to an agreement and on with their strike. But some of these just aren't really going anywhere. And, you know, the main thing that they're asking for in a lot of these cases is, is that they want to see their wages rise with two things, with the rate of inflation, but also with um, to reflect the profits, the, the increase in profits in the last year that some of these companies have seen. Well, you take a look at Kellogg's and what Kellogg's said in the past four quarters, they've made $1.8 billion in operating profit. So the union is saying, um, you know, give us a little bit. It, it's because of us. You forced us to have overtime. Uh, it wasn't optional. We worked very hard. Give us a, a little bit, you know, of that money. And what they've done instead is they have a new two-tiered wage and benefit system and refuse the request for raises. Mm-hmm. However, uh, Kellogg spokesperson Chris Boehner said um, in a statement that under the company's new six-year proposal, employees would achieve a wage rate of about $35 an hour, and the new contract would not only maintain these industry-leading pay and benefits, but offer significant increases in wages, benefits, and retirement. So they have to wait six years to get it. And who knows what the world is going to be like in six years. Um, And, you know, they're having their profits now. And if you look at a lot of the CEOs that are out there, um, whether it be from a retail standpoint or a CPG standpoint, they're getting some huge bonuses. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I think that they that. They have to think really carefully about this because, you know, we there were there were all these campaigns saying, you know, praising these are essential workers during this crisis and they are they're valuable. They're important. But just saying that in a campaign and not reflecting that in, you know, in better quality jobs, better paying jobs is is not enough. And I might get the number wrong, but I but I believe I read that in the past month, another four and a half million people left the workforce. Yes. You know, they're, they're just stressed out. They don't want to deal with it. Um, a lot of it, obviously, in hospitality, um, restaurants in particular, uh, people are just not willing to take uh, the brunt, if you would, uh, from customers, from bosses, from from everybody in order to do that. So what's going on yeah. on the farm? Well, Phil, there's a there's a great documentary that has recently come out, and it is it, it is a heartbreaking story and something that probably a lot of us don't know anything about. But um, but there are quite a there's quite a large population of teenagers that are working on farms. And these are teenagers from immigrant families. Um, some come from families that are 
uh, you know, the kids are documented, but the parents are not documented. There are a lot of complications in these situations. And I'm trying to pull up the title of the movie. Yes, Fruits of Labor is the name of it. And um, and it follows a young woman who has to go to work um, to help her family pay the bills. She works at night in the strawberry factory packing frozen strawberries. And then she goes to school. And after school, during the day, she works in fields. So it just, it, it is, it's a, it's a great documentary for us to get a glimpse at the challenges that our farm workers, um, particularly out there in California, are facing. What I also love about this documentary, um, two things. They bring up the fact that about 50% of all farm workers throughout the U.S. are undocumented, even a higher percentage in California. Um, they also point out that um, in in these families, um, it's the girls, these teenage girls who have to go to school during the day, who work at night in the factory, as you said, work in the fields in the afternoon. But the teenage boys, no, they're they're like, you know, the, the gods of the family um, and, and they don't put them under this pressure. But what I love about this story is that um, her dream is to start her own strawberry farm that has equitable pay for workers, provides benefits and pathways to higher education. She's becoming a social entrepreneur and she's pursuing a certificate at Santa Clara University in Latino business. That's great, great success. Check it out, it's on PBS. Um, yet another great uh, special from PBS. Mm -hmm. uh, as we're talking about Latin farm workers, what's going on in the Latin food world? Here's something really cool that I am particularly excited about because I love Latin food. Um, two Spanish language um, digital companies have partnered together um, for a site that is going to host all things um, Latin food. Uh, Mundo Hispanico, which is based in Atlanta, is the biggest Latin digital marketing company. And um, and then the other part, the partnership is with Kiwi Limon, which is the largest Spanish language digital food platform in the world. And um, what what also it points out is that Hispanics account for more than 50 percent of the growth of the U.S. population. So this is really a smart, a smart idea to get ahead of this and really create digital food content that, according to them, is going to be superior to to what we see. Um, so good for them. Uh, and we'll be watching that carefully and and hopefully we'll get some new product reviews on some things that we've never heard of before. Um, let's let's move a little bit into a sad state of affairs. Um, a new report just came out for the Centers for Disease Control that finds that agriculture workers are more likely to die by suicide compared to other industry groups. It also finds that workers all along the food chain experience elevated rates of suicide compared to the total study population. So um, what's being done about this? We have a real problem. Yes. And, you know, the theme of today's show has just been about this, about stress and um, mental health. And, and we've been talking about, you know, the conditions of workers. And um, it, it is really important for us to 
start taking care of our workforce. And in the case here, um, we've found several different organizations across the country that are specifically have specifically been formed to help people in the agriculture industry and in the hospitality industry um, dealing with anxiety, stress, depression. Um, one of them is called AgriSafe. AgriSafe um, works with families, um, families of farmers, and um, helps provides resources for them in dealing with anxiety, stress, mental illness. Um, there, there, there's one in Atlanta that I really liked um, that I read about called A Sip of Paradise. This is specifically for bartenders, and this was created during the pandemic for these bartenders, I guess a lot of them who either lost their jobs or were working are working in situations that are high anxiety. And so these bartenders can go to this community garden in their off time and just do some gardening to relieve stress. I think that's so wonderful. Yeah, I do too. Um, in going through this list, a lot about agriculture, a lot about restaurants and hospitality, nothing about supermarkets. No. And, and I would really hope that, especially with what we've seen over the past couple months, we could um, get one of these groups. We we have a list. We'll put it up on, on supermarketguru.com with the links to it um, to to help, you know, supermarket workers as well. Well, thanks, Ellie. Um, on today's Lemper Report, we take a look at the opportunity for branded produce. Uh, new research conducted by the Food Marketing Communications reveal the underdeveloped state of branding within the fresh produce industry and how commodity growers can make a larger profit by leveraging their authentic stories. Interestingly enough, the study of over a thousand regular produce shoppers looked at four generations. Boomers, Gen X, Millennials, and Generation Z. The key findings include the revelation that more than half of consumers find it important to find specific brands in the produce department versus non-branded products. The popular perception always has been that the younger generations are less brand engaged, and this proves it wrong. In reality, brand affinity is growing generationally with almost half of Gen X and baby boomers considering it important that the fresh produce that they buy is branded, while two-thirds of millennials and Generation Z are likely to purchase branded free produce. Food Mix's study reveals that brands with an established story generate trust and engagement among consumers by having the ability to share their truths. With sustainability as a table stake for many brand lovers, it's more about the key attributes that will drive advocacy and brand love than brand statements. What we know, especially since the beginnings of the pandemic, is that more consumers of all generations have increased their awareness and interest in sustainability issues. Dan O'Connor, the CEO at Food Mix Marketing Communications, said that through our research, we've identified that customers will indeed buy more at a higher margin from brands who embark on sharing a true and sustainable story. Consumers have made it clear that there are not enough brands to love and they want more, 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 and they're willing to pay for it. And that's something that every produce manager and every retailer should understand. Just having huge bins of apples out front that make it very colorful, that's not enough. Even just having that little PLU sticker with somebody's name on it, 
not enough. Tell the story. There are retailers around the country who have told great stories about produce, Whole Foods being one, Sprouts being another, identifying who those farmers are. It's about authenticity, it's about traceability, and it's about credibility. Yesterday, we spoke with two professors at Drexel University's Close School of Entrepreneurship on just why entrepreneurship is so important at retail. Here's what they had to say. So I'm going to ask what might sound to be a silly question, but why should somebody be an entrepreneur? What does it do for them? I know everything that you said and how it's great for the company. What does it do for me to be an entrepreneur in my supermarket? Yeah. And that's a great question, Bill. Yeah. Sorry, John. Go ahead, John. No, no, no go ahead. Go ahead, David. I mean, just, to, I mean, and, and again, I think we can all on this uh, call here relate to it, but just owning something. There are some individuals who want to own something. And owning doesn't necessarily mean the business, but owning a project, owning an initiative and being the champion of that change. There are very, very, I've met a lot of those individuals in my career that are, that are, that are eager to own something. And so an entrepreneur owns the information, owns the data, if that's where, you know, where it is, owns the launch of, of, of an idea within an organization. Yeah, there's for sure, you know, uh, success in that. And, and, and if that's what those individuals are looking for in terms of ladder, Phil and Annette and John, we all know that uh, the entrepreneurial skill sets are in demand throughout the entire I mean, uh, economy, right? Uh, given all the supply chain issues that we're in, those mm -hmm. all require entrepreneurial uh, solutions, right? And so th there's clearly a demand for it. And, and again, if it's if it's if they're looking to uh, to to uh, uh, climb the ladder, if you will, uh, of an organization, the skills that entrepreneurs have for sure uh, are, enable that, at least facilitate it. If it's just to own something, you know, to be a, an owner of something, a, 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 you know, tangible product within a corporation, within a company, uh, within a, in a project, you know, that thing, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. And I think I would add to that just to the, just the desire to make your mark and just to be working on things that aren't just about, you know, just achieving tasks or checking off a task list, but, but really creating something new or changing uh, the environment, changing the world, because uh, entrepreneurs, you know, if if, if they're uh, if they really have an entrepreneurial mindset, they're they're not going to want to just punch in and punch out and and just mm -hmm. check a, a lot of boxes. They're going to want to really make their mark and 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 really feel that gratification at the end that hey, I did this. If I if I hadn't been here, we'd still be doing things the old way, and you know, and the world may change, and we and that may be a detriment to the organization. So it's it's that ability to be part of something bigger than than themselves, but to be making a mark on that on that organization as well, and to be changing the world in the ways that they can with, within their sphere of influence. And it's time to hit the bullseye. What's keeping your CEO up at night and how can you help? The burden on the shoulders of your CEO has never been heavier since they first heard the words COVID-19. Many grocery retailers have turned on a dime, ramping up e-commerce, redesigning in-store self-service bars, implementing new sanitation procedures, and investing heavily into new technologies, including micro-fulfillment centers. 
and those were the easy ones. Your CEO today has weathered the onset of the pandemic and is now focused on larger issues that are influencing your store operations. What is keeping the CEOs that I've spoken with up at night fall into three main areas, labor shortage, climate change, and transportation, and their impacts on prices and availability of the food and beverages in your stores. We've all seen the signs on your store window and just about everywhere else that urges people to apply for jobs. There's a significant labor shortage, not only at retail, but throughout all U.S. companies. We're also faced with increasing wages and benefits to attract new workers to our industry. As we discussed earlier in Hot Topics, these shortages are fueling new demands, which are leading to major walkouts and strikes. Supermarket retailers throughout the nation have announced shortening their store hours due to the labor shortages. Because of the pandemic, there's a multitude of reasons that we have a labor shortage. The loss of over 700,000 people due to the pandemic the government stimulus programs that have put into question whether it's better for an individual to work or just stay out of the workforce and make almost as much money. Early retirement for those who just don't wanna work in the current environment and the well-publicized harassment and treatment of supermarket workers from nervous and angry customers. We all have the responsibility to promote the benefits of working for our companies. In the mid-2000s, as supermarkets were creating grocerant and new food service concepts, many chefs and other staff members moved from the volatile restaurant culture to the much more stable supermarket environment that offered them more stability, better benefits, a career pathway, and better pay. Now we must employ the same vigor to attract people to work in our industry at all levels. You've witnessed firsthand the shortages on your store shelves, but your CEO is thinking about the long-term effects of climate change on our food supply. The ravaging fires in the Northwest decimated soy and corn crops, which in turn has an impact on the cost of animal protein. And the severe weather conditions in Brazil are driving up the price of coffee. And they all show the reality that climate change is impacting the ability to fill our store shelves. Now, this is not a temporary situation. Your CEO is working with the United Nations Sustainability Program, the CEOs of CPG brands and NGOs to step up and mitigate the climate changes to create a new food system. For example, we're seeing more indoor farming throughout the nation, with the Biden administration putting $500 million in the controversial American Rescue Plan package to build state-of-the-art small meat processing facilities that are dotted throughout the country and reimagining the food supply chain. Food transportation is a mess. At the start of the pandemic, we had containers throughout the world locked down in ports due to COVID-19. To this day, we have containers that are unable to be moved, and in some cases, filled with foods that are rotting. The cost of shipping a container full of product from China, for example, has risen from $2,000 pre-pandemic to over $25,000 today due to the shortage. Domestically, we have an aging truck driver workforce. It's estimated that by 2023, there'll be a shortage of 100,000 truck drivers. You may have heard the radio ads that trucking companies are offering higher wages, covering the cost of trucking training, and offering sign-up bonuses of $15,000. 
We have a huge problem that's expected to become worse. It's another example of why we need to reimagine our food system and become less reliant on long haul transport. Today, 96% of all lettuces are grown in California, which are then trucked throughout the rest of the country. Having smaller local indoor and outdoor lettuce farms dotted throughout the US is one example of how to solve this issue. The burden rests not on your CEO, but on all of us. And the key to ease that burden is to educate and empower our shoppers. So Sally, do we have any questions today? Well, John Pandall has made a really good comment here. He says, did I read it correctly or did you post a product update for plant-based risotto? He's referring to the right rice risotto that you reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Do people not know that risotto is rice and is a plant? It is vegetable and not animal or mineral. You know, John, you've hit the nail as you always do um, on the head. What we're seeing is everybody putting plant-based everything on all their packages, promoting it even when it's a plant. You know, I remember, um, as as you probably do, when gluten-free first hit hard. And what we started to see is we started to see little stickers on apples in supermarkets saying gluten-free. Of course, apples are are gluten-free. Here's another great example. John, thanks for pointing it out. And we will alert uh, the makers of Right Rice to your comment. So thanks for joining us. And to all of you, thank you for joining us. Please join in with John. Give us your questions during the program. Feel free to post it on any of our websites, any of our social media. And we will see you once again next week for more of the Lemper Report Live.